Bill Show wish to thank our primary sponsors, The Mallon Agency, located in Springfield, PA, where they take pride in exceeding expectations every time. Anthony DiCecco and our friends at Tennis Addiction are ready to serve all your tennis needs at their beautiful facility in Exton, PA. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Rosie and Bill Show. And if you haven't already, please follow us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our guest this week is a world traveler, or more specifically, a booze traveler. From drinking deer blood to eating ant butts to helping disabled veterans reclaim their independence right here at home, this man is truly fearless and has a heart of gold. Please welcome to the Rosie and Bill Show host and actor, Jack Maxwell. Hi, Jack, welcome to the show. Hi, Rosie and Bill, but thank you for that. That might be the best introduction I've ever gotten. <laughs> what was with a heart of gold? <laughs> I swear I don't. You can look it up. I don't think anyone's ever said I have a heart of gold. That's Aww. nice. Thank you. Well, we're going to get to that when we talk about American Homecoming. We're not going to start with that, but but truly, we're so impressed with you, and and we thank you so much for coming on the show. And I first have to compliment you one more time before we get started, that I think you may have one of the coolest names of any guests we've had on the show. It just lends itself to like intrigue, Jack Maxwell. You know, there's no way of telling, but I'm sure <laughs> that's helped me in the business because every, everyone thinks it's a fake name, Rosie. They say, oh, sure, Jack Maxwell, that's your stage name, being that I'm an actor and a television host. But what's your real name? I said, Jack Maxwell. They said, no, I know that's your <laughs> stage name. What were you born with? I said, I was born Jack Maxwell. No, there's no way. I, but I was that's under sweet. the weirdest circumstances. They were going to name me Clarence after my father and grandfather. I would have been Clarence the third. And my mother said, you do that, we're getting a divorce. Oh, and my man. father hated, be, hated being called Clarence. So he took the nickname Jack. So they said, why don't we just call him Jack? So there you have it. That's a great wow. story, Jack. Thanks for sharing that. And thank you for not calling me Clarence after I told you that. <laughs> yeah, but Clarence is actually one of my favorite characters from It's a Wonderful Life. So yes. that would be okay, too. Yeah. Yes, Clarence would. That's right. That's exactly right. Or Clarence the Cross-Eyed Lion from when we were kids. But I'm a lot older than you, so. I don't remember that one. Yeah, Of course, you're too young. Bill knows. No, no, no. I'm teasing, Bill. I'm teasing. He was just trying to gain some points. There we go. And I was just getting ready to to share a compliment with you as well before I jump into my first question, because this is actually a a major, major compliment, because, Jack, you know, a lot of time and effort and work goes into like this this do that I have here. But I have to admit, you've got (laughs) to have... The nicest do of anyone we've ever had on. So I have to know, what's your secret? You son of a gun. I knew you'd get me back for that old age comment. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to I'm gonna do this real quick. I'm going to go like this. I'm going to show you this. I'm going to go here. And here's the secret. I went to a barber and I said, I'm traveling soon. Can you cut it? 
short because it's hot here, whatever you want to do. I got out of the shower 20 minutes ago. Uh, I dried it, put a little stuff on my hair. That's it. It's really a lot less work than you think. Now, when I had longer hair, uh, hair uh, someone said, Oh yeah, that's you know it's a nice do and blah blah. Uh, and I, I I admit when I was a younger actor, I probably worked a little bit more on it because I thought that it was all part of the package. But now at this point in my life, I just have it. But I have to say, um, all ser in all seriousness, I'm very grateful at my age to have here because I know it's just fluky. There's nothing I did. I don't deserve a pat on the back. It's really genetics mostly and. Not to mention, and I'm sure you probably know this because you're excellent hosts who do their research, but I, I went through non-Hodgkin's lymphoma mm -hmm. and chemo, and they said, your hair's going to fall out and it's going to come back white because you're old. I said, oh, thanks for the pep talk. I really appreciate it. But it didn't fall out. And they said, wait a minute. How did your hair not fall out? And I said, you're the medical professionals. You tell me. But all through that process, I felt I was going to have an easier, better ride than they told me. And it's not like they were screaming from the top of their lungs, it's going to be this horrible thing. But they have to let you know what they've experienced. You know, I think it's medical malpractice if they pretend uh, things will happen that aren't going to happen or vice versa. So I said, listen, I know that's been your experience but I feel better than you think I'm going to feel. I think it's going to be that way. And it did. I didn't lose my hair, although I did. I got two grays right there, and I think there's one right there. Other than that, I sailed right through it. Wow. We were going to ask you about that. So I, I'm glad that you brought that up. Jack, what was your response when you got that diagnosis? What was the immediate feeling? Because I have a feeling it's not what we think it was. Uh, you're, you're very insightful. That's exactly right. Everyone said to me, oh, my God, they were more upset than I was. And I wanted to make sure that I was OK, because I'm lucky enough to have people in my life who really care about me, really love me. And they were so upset and crying. And I, I wanted to be strong for them because mm -hmm. I knew I would be OK. Now, I'm sure there are a lot of people who have left us because of cancer and other things who thought they were going to be okay. But I really felt that I did. And I, not only that, I told them, don't worry. I know what this is. It's a, it's a speed bump, not a roadblock. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do everything the doctor tells me. I'm going to stay healthy. I'm going to get through this just fine. And at the end of it, I'll have a TV show to do, or I won't, but I'll have my life. Turns out Travel Channel pulled the show while I was in chemo and I don't blame them at all. They gave me a great four year run, but they had different ideas of what they wanted to do with programming, etc. I never asked why. I just said, thank you very much. Maybe mm -hmm. I'll see you again down the line. But when I first heard it, just to specifically answer your question, Rosie, I just felt that, okay, I have cancer. Oh, I didn't see that coming because <laughs> I didn't have any, any symptoms really. Because the doctor asked me, he said, do you have any symptoms of cancer? And I said, what would be the symptoms of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma? And he said, well, your limbs were swollen and tired. Your eyes hurt. You have pounding headaches. Uh, you, you wake up in the middle of the night and sweat maybe. Or you don't sleep well overall. 
And I said, yeah, welcome, welcome to Booze Traveler, because that was that was my job. Not only was I drinking all of these things from around the world, we were jetting across the international dateline back and forth, getting too much sleep, not enough sleep. But the whole crew was like that. We all had the same symptoms. So it was masking the fact that I had cancer. And I didn't complain. I just wanted to go do the job. So it really wasn't devastating to me. I just felt I was in the frame of mind and partly... That's from traveling, all the wise people I met uh, doing this show for the years I did it, who who taught me there's more to it than just worrying about yourself. There's, there's humanity in the rest of people. So that's what I did for the people who cared about me, the people who depended on the show, the crew, the production company, the network. I mean, this show fed a lot of people, and mm -hmm. I wanted to be there for them. And for the fans of the show, I'm very grateful. The fans are really into the show, and they still are years later, even though we're not filming any more episodes. But they come up to me with such joy in their hearts about what it's like to travel and their favorite episodes and who I met and uh, several of them, which this is, I never would have guessed. They say they go on the same journey that I went on, on the show. Someone mm -hmm. went to Belize and mapped where I went. Somebody did that in Cambodia, wow. also in New Orleans. And it, it's, it's such an honor because, you know, there's a lot of editing involved and it's shot over, you know, a series of days. It's not just like that. That's the whole thing. There's a lot of traveling that you don't see and waiting in airports and things like that. But it was just really an honor to do that show. So I, I really didn't think much about it when I got the diagnosis. I didn't deny it. And I said, I'm going to take care of it. But it really didn't devastate me. I have mm -hmm. to be honest. I think that Bill, you very much would have the same reaction. My co-host is very positive like that, very life affirming. So Bill, I'm gonna hand it over to you right now. No, thanks partner. And Jack, I'll tell you, um, cause we've got a few other questions we wanted to ask you about Booze Traveler. But before we do, I've seen you talk about this situation that we're talking about right now. And there's something that I've heard you say in the past that I wanted to touch on because it really struck me. And it was that, you said that after this experience, you gained a new appreciation for life and for every moment, but you added that you kind of had already had that because of the way you grew up. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. And it's true. You know, I think that when you go through something that changes your life, either you're really affected by it and it gives you a sea change in how you look at things, or you just go past it because you're in denial and you you just figure, all right, that's a fluke, I'm gonna keep going. And it, it affected me to a great degree in that I realized anything could happen at any time. And the fact that I got past it made me so grateful for, for my health and because I might not have made it through. Most people do from non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. It's when it comes back that it really gets you. And I know someone who is not so lucky as I am with non-Hodgkin's, as I'm sure many of you do. Um, but but going through that, I, I, I you know, it sounds cliche, which is why I, I have to be honest and say, I already had that attitude. Um, but it sounds cliche that I had a new appreciation for life. But I was given that by the greatest people on earth, my mother and my grandmother. And I had a great grandmother and all three of them looked out after me. So I didn't have a father. There was no male role models in my life. So they, they made sure that I grew up to be a, a good uh, strong, healthy, uh, self-aware uh, person. 
who was kind and polite to others. And we grew up in the projects of South Boston. If you ever saw Goodwill Hunting, you would know what that means. And it was very rough conditions. Uh, the projects were called D Street projects. And it was a really tough time in the 60s and 70s. And uh, for what my mother had to go through, I just wanted to be the best boy for her. I wanted to make sure I did everything okay and I shined shoes and kicked money in or, or used it for, for presents or whatever I could. I just, I admired her so much for the sacrifice she made for me. So I really already did have that appreciation given to me, no credit to me, by her and my grandmother who worked so hard to, to make sure we had a good life. And I don't mean an expensive life. I don't mean a glamorous life. But just we had nutrition. We had shoes. We got by. She, they sent me to a Catholic school so I could learn uh, values. Uh, according to them at the time, that was important. So that's okay because they they sacrificed for me, and I'll never forget that. And that's how I, I honor them every day by living my life the right way, hopefully anyway. Jack, I have to tell you, I, I really didn't know what the story was behind that. But I so appreciate you sharing that. And, you know, we were so excited to have you on and, and we knew just what a great guy you are. But you just took it to a whole nother level with that. So thank you for that. We really appreciate you sharing that. We know everyone who watches this will. And I almost feel bad doing this, but I, I think it's time. It's time to get serious, Jack. We really need to get serious. And and this is another burning question, you know, almost burning as, as high as the hair question, <laughs> the ant butts that Rosie talked about in the intro. I, I need to know two things from your days at Booze Traveler. Number one, what did they taste like? And number two, how much input did you have in those various destinations, some of which you've talked about, but how much input did you have in the places you went? I really didn't have much, which is probably good because I'm just a television host. I certainly had to make it my own. Nothing was written for me. I just had to go into the scenes and react in the most natural way I could. The voiceover is written because it fits certain segments. So if you don't see me and it, it feels like it's an after effect or something, that's, that's the voiceover, of course. We all know what that is. But anything in scene, even if I'm off camera and you hear my voice, uh, that's just was pure reaction um, on my part. So the ant butts... I was as surprised as you <laughs> when they said this is it was in Colombia and they're, they're from Santander. It's two days a year that they come out, apparently, these ants, and they just take the butts off them and they just pop right off. It doesn't hurt or kill the ant that I know of. And they're like little pine nuts or something. So they put them on drinks and this was an ant butt mojito. But you know what I think of? When I think of that, just crunchy. There's not. There's nothing wrong with that, of course. Uh, it's just the fact that you have to get over the fact that you're you're eating the butt of an ant. But you know what? It reminds me of more than anything. I was lucky enough to be on Stephen Colbert, and he he said he wanted to have a couple drinks with me, and he was so gracious to have me on his show. But he had those, and he he ate a couple and put them in a beer and mixed it all up, and he was just really fun. And uh, he said, "Oh, wait a minute." What if I get an allergic reaction to this? And the crowd's laugh was so big, I didn't step on it. I had a funny line and I didn't say it because it's his show and I wanted to be a good guest. So I just let him go on with it because, the you know, it's an enormous audience and they were laughing. And I, I don't really tell this story too often. But when he said, what if I have an allergic reaction? I was going to say. Then you just take an ant ass id. 
<laughs> or something, right? You know, oh. I don't know. It's the first thing I thought of. But because his reaction from the crowd was so good, I wanted to him to have the moment. So I think of that every time everyone brings up Ant Butt Mojito. Well, you know, Jack, what would happen if I had an allergic reaction? Oh, you're giving me the opportunity. <laughs> then you take an antacid. How about that? <laughs> yeah, Jack, I have Not to that tell you, you can that, find them. They're kind of rare. <laughs> I don't think you could find them. That's right up there with, I heard you uh, when you were recently on with Kennedy and you talked about um, uh, a class that you took uh, in woodworking, <laughs> you know, carpentry class and you had only just begun. That's right up there. Quality stuff. Love it. Well, this is what, ha this is what happened. Uh, the gentleman whose house we we redid it. I know we're going to talk about that, but we redid the house so he could move around in his wheelchair, make it more accessible for him. And he said, thank you for doing all of this. And I said, well, I have to be honest. I, I really didn't do a lot. I did a little because I'm no construction guy. I'm not very handy with tools in that way. Uh, although I am taking a carpenter's class. And he said, oh, really? I said, yeah, but we haven't learned much. We've only just begun. And a lot of people don't get that unless you know yeah. the carpenters. Like oh, people, yeah. Bill, people, Bill, our age, not Rosie. Yeah. She's way younger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jack, we're going to have to have him back. Yeah. But this is, this is why I said that. I want you to understand the psychology behind it. Afterwards, this Navy veteran, Garrett, who was forced into a wheelchair when he developed, uh, he was serving in Oklahoma. It wasn't from the theater of war. He developed a cancer. Who knows how he got it, but it crushed his spine and forced him into a wheelchair. And at the end of it all, he took me aside, said, can I talk to you? And I'm terrified because I think I hurt his feelings or upset him or something, or he changed his mind about what we did to the house. He said, thank you. Thank you for treating me like one of the guys. You made fun of me. You did stupid dad jokes. You made puns. I long for those days where people just treated me as normal. Oh. So that's why I did things like that, because he deserved that. Not because I was trying to be funny or clever or, you know, pithy. It's because he just, to me, we become friends. I interviewed him prior to that, and I really respected him. So I treated him like I did everybody else. Joked around, hit him on the arm you know said can i get you a drink or whatever or but not not overly so not oh let me help you like he's a like he's right completely helpless he's not he's just in a wheelchair we have to remember that right well definitely jack that's what we were talking about when we said the heart of gold that's exactly what we were talking about and uh we we do want to get more into that that work that you're doing on that show. But I I, I want to uh, just backtrack a little bit. I'm not quite finished with all the animals you've ingested on your booze traveler days because, <laughs> I, <laughs> because I happen to have such uh. a version and a fear. Like it's one time where I'm glad that we're doing a Zoom interview and that I'm not like Stephen Colbert that has a drink in front of me that you guys could possibly strong arm me into trying something. Although- well, that's it. Now, that's it. I'm sorry to interrupt you. It's your show. But Bill and I are coming to you with those drinks and we're all going to drink them. No, right? I say, Bill, Come I would on, enjoy Rosie. Jack watching Bill drink those drinks. That would give me great pleasure. <laughs> uh, you got to jump in you know, both feet. Come tune on, in next week to catch the Jack and Bill show. That's OK. <laughs> you guys can have a show. Jack, I have no, a question. He's saying that 
that you wouldn't be any part of that. Is I know, I know. Of course, I. I I think I think you're smart to not do it, and no one (laughs) accused me of ever being too smart, Rosie. Along those lines, though, because the the point is brought up, right? You have to be really open and malleable and willing to try things if you're going to do a show like that. You can't have these these skittishes that I have, right? So how important was it to be reverent and respectful to the cultures that you were immersing yourself in? Yeah, that was everything. You know, it's a really great point. I said to my crew, the camera, the sound, the locals who are helping us, we're guests here. Even though the locals that helped us lived there, we were guests on this particular land in this particular scene if you will, or at this place or this village. And we will not be known. We will not leave here as the ugly Americans. We will be respectful. We'll pick up our trash. We won't be loud or brash or obnoxious. We, we will show them every bit of courtesy we would if you were going into a stranger's home. So please don't let, don't let me hear that that's not the case because reverence for someone is not just for them. It's for their family for their ancestors, for their traditions and cultures that mean so much to them. And so much of that is tied into what they drink. You know, here, college frats, whatever, people drink to excess, they drink to get drunk or whatever. In many other places, and there's nothing wrong with with however you want to enjoy your libations, but in many places, they, they pour it out, Pachamama, to the earth or to the four winds or to their ancestors. And they say a little tribute before. It's much more spiritual in many, not all, in many places than it here than here in the United States. So I wanted to never, ever just say, OK, let's have a few drinks and be loud. I really wanted to find out what they drank, why they drank it, and then listen to the stories they told when they do. That was everything to me because it wasn't a drinking show. It might have been about drinks. It's really about who they are as people. As I said once, uh, and then Travel Channel said, say that all the time because that's what the show is. But it came from the top of my head during an interview. I said, someone said, what's the show about? And I said, it's an exploration or even a celebration of all the people, places, and cultures of the world through the lens of a cocktail glass. Mm, that really summed okay. it up. But yeah. it was the drinks, the drinks just got us into the scene. You're right, Rosie. It was really about the people themselves and holding respect for them and what they do. Definitely, definitely. Was was there any any time where you felt like, okay, I'm an adventurous guy, but I really don't think I can swallow this. Or was there anything the network was like, oh, that's a little bit too much for us? Uh, Several. (laughs) (laughs) But, well, see, the network could cut it out or have the production company cut it out if they wanted to. But there are times I said, oh, man. But then I said to myself, Jack Maxwell can feel that. But the booze traveler cannot. Because if I went to a place and these people with their kindness and generosity, took me in and shared their food, their friends, their families, and then said, okay, here's what we drink. And then I say, oh no, that's a bridge too far. I can't do that. That that would be rude. It would be disrespectful to their culture. And it's not as if it's a game show, right? 
like or something where you throw a bunch of junk in and say drink this for 500 bucks or something you know there are ben shows like that no this is really what they have for whatever reason so if they're gonna drink it or they're gonna do it or they're gonna say it or speak or whatever i want to be part of that that's the only way you get to know a culture is immerse yourself and do what they do and then show it to everyone who wants to be a part of that and say oh jack really jumped in i'm not a reporter saying oh hey tell us about your culture no i I'm I'm a part of it. And I think not only would it be disrespectful to not do it, I would have missed some great experiences. And Jack, and- you, you talked about respect of those other cultures and you touched earlier on Garrett, uh, you know, the veteran. And, and I wanted to just circle back now to American Homecoming. And I know that I, I've heard you talk about how it all came about, but I want to ask you a little bit of a different question. What does it mean to you to be a part of this show? Well, it's funny because it contrasts so much with a show like Booze Traveler. That was so fulfilling for me because I got to see the world and meet people and drink and have a job. American Homecoming is so much different because you see the benefit of doing a show like this immediately with our veteran. And for those who don't know what it is, when a veteran comes home, service member, comes home hurt, injured, disabled in some way, in this case, a wheelchair, their houses are different for them. They're no longer livable in many ways. Just put yourself in a wheelchair for one day or a week and see how hard it is to get around your house, no matter where you live. So we want to make it accessible, not only for form and function, but aesthetic as well. We want to make it nicer, a nicer place to live. We want to freshen it up with plants and flowers and wallpaper. But more so, we want them to be able to feel comfortable there. So we pull out the the steps and put in ramps. We widen the doorways and frames and give them remote controls so they have independence, which is huge when you get, you know, when you're disabled or you know whether you're missing a limb or in a wheelchair or you have ptsd whatever it is we want to help you look you were the you were defending our freedoms you were fighting for us and you came back not whole in whatever way and certainly not the way you left why can't we give back and i know there are programs who do but i think we leave a lot of them behind and we just can't do that so so the, the place they spend most of their time is their house so we thought why not that Why not fix the house up and also make it livable again? We tear out the tubs and put in rolling showers, whatever they need. We will say to them, what is it that you'd like? And then they sign off and we send them away for a week and they come back and boom, there it is. And by the way, we're not heroes for doing that. They're the heroes. We're just trying to give them a little bit of the freedom back. Freedom that they gave up defending ours. Jack, yeah, that's beautiful. And it's, it's, what I'll refer to as like almost soul quenching work that you're doing, that it, it just really feeds, feeds you on the inside to be able to say thank you in essence and help these people. Because yeah, I think the hardest thing is losing your independence and feeling less than for whatever reason, because maybe you can't do something physically. And when you can empower someone to take back their life, and know that they're not less than because they now have a change in their physical makeup. That's, you can't even put a price tag on that. No, you can't. And it's very satisfying for me when I see the reaction of our vet, in this case, Garrett, 
or just talking to people who uh, maybe want to get on the list, who if, if we just gave them that, then they'd somehow be a little bit better. I can't, I can't restore them to, to the way they were. They know that. I just want to say thank you. And a lot of people say thank you or thank you for your service. A lot of people take political shots at the other side and you should be doing more and you should be, just do something. Instead of saying it, instead of, yes, we have to take care of our vets. And then you go back to, do something. And I decided to do something when they brought me this, I said, yes, without a, I said, no matter what it takes, wherever I have to go, we shot this in Dell city, Oklahoma, I will be a part of this for as long as I can, because it's worthy. And I, I never fought. I never defended our country. I never served. And this doesn't make me that not even close, but it allows me to say, thank you. Well, Jack, I will say this, uh, and I'm a firm believer and supporter of our veterans, and I believe that if they don't do and haven't done what they've done, we don't get to do what we're doing right now. So I That's really right. appreciate what you're doing in terms of your actions and walking the walk. And just a couple quick other things now about American Homecoming. Uh, how, where can people watch it? And can you tell us about being a delegate and what's involved with that? Because I know that's something that I'm sure you could use more of. Sure. Well, first of all, thank you. Uh, the show is is just a pilot, which means it's the one off for now. And we're looking for a, a partner, either on the network side or streamer or cable or a corporate partner that can help us get this done as more than just a one off, maybe a series. And it doesn't have to be a traditional television show. I don't care about that. It's about helping as many vets as possible. And as you know, this is very labor intensive and it costs a lot of money, of course. Um, but so it's right now it's just online at American Homecoming, which is the name of the show, AmericanHomecoming.tv. And while you're there, you can watch it for free. We don't ask for anything. Just watch it and tell us what you think of it. Maybe get the dialogue going. And that's what you'll do if you're a delegate. You'll just promise to spread the word. It doesn't cost you anything. No one's asking for your credit card number or anything like that. It's nothing along those lines. You just say, yes, I believe in this. And I'll tell my friends and maybe we'll get a groundswell of support. That's always been the thing that changes the world, right? When people get involved in, with their passions and interests and it starts from the grassroots up and then it maybe catches fire because we have to do this. We have to do this for our veterans. And if we can, then they, they benefit, you benefit by being a part of it. And you could take some pride in that and say, I was on the team that help these most worthy people, our nation's forgotten. Jack, congratulations on this work that you're doing. You know, it's it's very important work and it's nice that that you are reaping what you sow. You know, you're 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 putting good seeds into the soil and it's gonna help many, many people. So thank you. Can so I much. please can I please stop you there? Thank you for saying that. But it's not the work that I'm doing, it's that we're doing. There's a gentleman by the name of Tracy Trost who created this, not the idea, it's been around for a while helping vets, of course, but to make it a television show and invest his own money and get his get the partners involved to whatever extent. Tracy Trost is his name. Also, there was there were other people involved, like Jimmy the Contract and Kara the Designer, Stacey Mazik, my co-host, if you will, uh, Dave Riley, the master craftsman, who has no arms and legs. He has just these metal claws and he became a master craftsman.
They all put me to shame. They served. I did not. I'm just a host. So it's the work we're all doing. And I don't mean to correct you, especially on your own show, but I don't want to take too much credit. I'm the face of it, certainly. And I'm the one that's happy to do the interviews, but it's really a team of everybody, not to mention an army of volunteers behind them. Well said. And thank you for adding that. Yes. Um, we, we thank everyone on the show, cast, crew, all the, everyone that's working on it for everything that you're doing. And we thank all of the veterans for their sacrifices and their service to our country. So Jack, it has been wonderful to have you on the show. We so appreciate you taking time out of your busy life to come and chat with us. It's, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. I really, uh, I really appreciate the time because uh, you know, the, the fact that you're willing to have me on and spread the word, you're doing a good thing too. So thank you. It's our pleasure. And folks, thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you next week. Hi, my name is Jack Maxwell, and I'm the host of a new show called American Homecoming. You see, when our veterans come home from the battlefield, they often face new challenges. For a disabled vet, that could mean accessibility, mobility, which makes it pretty difficult to get around the house. Well, that's where we come in. With our team of experts and partners, we renovate the house. We put in ramps and hardwood floors. We widen doorways. We make bathrooms larger and more accessible. We bring in new furniture and appliances, fresh paint, and custom woodworking. What better way, after all, for all of us to say thank you to all of them? And each one has a unique and fascinating story they're willing to share with us and the audience as we get to know them as people, real human beings, not just soldiers. You see, we think it's an honorable mission to try and give some freedom back to our brave men and women who lost a part of theirs defending ours. What has happened to my house? Together, we can give them the American homecoming they deserve. Everybody come on and celebrate! I hope you join us. If so, I'll see you soon. This week's episode has been brought to you by Doherty & Company Insurance Services for all your business and personal insurance needs. Our friends at Tennis Addiction in Exton, PA. And the Mallon Agency, where exceeding expectations is how they do business. Interested in becoming a partner in positivity? Send us an email, Rosie and Bill Show 2018 at gmail.com.